Well, I'd like to add uh, my welcome to you. Great to see you here this morning at uh, King's, especially if you're visiting or even if you've been coming a few weeks. Can we encourage you to step towards us? Uh, Maybe go over to the welcome desk at the end. It'd be just fantastic uh, to get to know you. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the series uh, Better Together. We're really having a fantastic series, Better Together. And I'm looking forward to speaking next part of the series today on serving. Serving, particularly in the context of uh, teams. And uh, stay with me, because I think there'll be something for all of us here today, wherever we are in different seasons of life or different work situations, as we look at this uh, challenge of, of being fruitful in the context of teams. I don't know if you watched or followed with interest um, two climbers that for the first time ever uh, climbed the dorm wall in Yosemite Park. Uh, I've had the privilege to go to Yosemite. It's an amazing place. You literally drive up from the plain, from the coastland in California, and you go up and you go up and up and up and up. And then you arrive what looks like a valley, and then in this valley there's just these huge rocks, granite rocks, massive, massive uh, mountains. And Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen are the first guys ever to climb it called free climbing, which is basically they did it with their hands and their feet. They had ropes so that when they fell, fell off, which they did on a number of occasions, they would just get kind of caught uh, so they didn't die. But they climbed this remarkable uh, uh, rock, uh, sort of towers into the sky just with their hands and their feet. I thought what I'd do is I'd just show you a, a clip from the BBC uh, that just records uh, this remarkable achievement. It happened on the 14th of January. They completed it on the 14th of January this year. So if we could just roll that now, that'd be great. Thanks. I mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, just remarkable. 
I don't know if you've ever been to those kind of fun parks where they have those little climbing things and you try and... I can't get off about a yard up and then I'm falling off. So to be able to climb that mountain literally with your hands and feet is some, some feat. I mean, it's just... Actually, most of their climbing they did at night because the sun in California is so intense that they did most of it at night. And as we're here through the message, I'll tell you a little bit more... Uh, about the climb, on a number of occasions they just fall off and the ropes catch them and they get back and then they go to try and get past the pitch again. It is a remarkable feat, uh, a a, a great achievement. And this wasn't the first time they'd had a go, they'd done it a number of times and failed. So it was just quite, quite amazing, never been done before and they did it together and very much a team And through our Better Together series, really, I think one of the verses that has resonated time and time again is the one in Ecclesiastes that says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And they very much teamed it. Uh, Kulwer, who's the more experienced climber, is 36. The younger guy's 30, uh, has trained and mentored Kevin uh, Jensen, and so um, it's quite a team effort. Uh, And that's one of the things that we've been focusing on through this series, that we can do more together than apart, that actually we need each other, that we can grow together, we can reach out together. My, My Better Together group, we're meeting again this evening, we're planning our outreach event for the 22nd of March and plans are afoot, pizzas are being ordered, we're inviting our friends, we're going to reach out together. Um, And uh, today I want to look at the whole challenge of serving together, and particularly serving on teams, and I want to broaden it away from just serving in church, as important as that is. As I'm going to talk about the fact that most context in life will involve some teamwork. So if you're married here, if you have a husband or a wife, yeah, then you're in a team. And this is um, a great team. It's a fun team. Uh, but you are called to work together. If you've got children, you're trying to raise them to become independent, healthy, stable people. You, you are working together as a team. If you, any of you work here, you're either leading a team, you might be leading a team and part of a team, or in most work contexts, you work with other people, don't you? You might... Be a lone ranger. But even if you're a lone ranger, you still would have to interact with people. And you have to understand their needs and and work with them. So nearly all of us work in teams. If you're in a group, you're in a team. And uh, you're sharing lives together and you're you're working out with purpose. Or if you serve here in the church, for example, you're very often on a team. Uh, I think some of the heroes at King's are our kids workers who serve... Uh, week by week, behind the scenes, you all kind of crash in nearly on time and you put the kids through and I go out there sometimes and see the receptionists and they're just like, it's intense for 25 minutes as they come in and you want to get your kids off so you can get into the worship and they're there now and the kids are having fun. I've just been out there and it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's loud, let me put it that way. But they're singing and dancing and you're happy as a parent because you're thinking you're, Kid, your son or daughter has been raised in the ways of Christ and you're in here, they're in there. 
It's a good, it's a win-win situation. So can I suggest, at the end of today, when you pick up your kids, if you have them, why don't you just thank the kids' workers? Really sort of show your appreciation for all that they do. So there are many contexts that we're in, team, and I want to look at four characteristics of really healthy teams and characteristics of healthy teams. And I'm going to use the word team and going to use the, each letter as my kind of uh, point to try and help you remember. So the first is T, which is trust. Good teams have, and in fact, all good relationships are built around trust. Uh, so 2 Timothy 2 says, in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So even in that verse, you can see that team is with purpose. So you're actually, uh, you want reliable people, but it's going somewhere. It's, gonna, it, 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 it's to teach others. I was trying to think of these climbers. I think, what, what illustration could I use? I think ropes are like uh, a trust. Uh, if you see this uh, picture of them just on the side of this rock, I mean, you are trusting that rope, aren't you? If you slip, you, it's the rope or heaven. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's that you're trusting the rope. And all relationships are built around trust. It is a very precious commodity. It takes time to build trust. And you can lose it in a moment. And so it's a very precious thing. And I just want to talk for a moment. How do you build trust in any relationship? In a marriage, in a, a working team, in a group? Well, firstly, you build it by being consistent. By being consistent. Trust is something that comes out of consistency, reliability. So if you're on a serving team here, it really helps for us if you turn up and on time. It really does. I mean, because you're reliable. If, you, if you're not turning up on time, then you kind of view the team and you're thinking, are they going to show? Because trust is eroded. So it's, um, it's so important to be consistent. Uh, Phil Varley, who is uh, one of the pastors here, many of you know Phil, uh, speaks regularly, leads our Lee site. Has uh, I've worked with Phil for 20 years now, uh, approaching 20 years. When I first came to lead this church, he was in the church. He came and lived with us for a year. Some of you know this story. But he is consistent. He is reliable. I mean, he's become the type of person you just love having on a team. And if you lead a team, you understand this. This is a type of what I call a go-to person. You know if you ask them to do something and they say yes, they will deliver. Yeah, and that's what you want, isn't it? You know, if you're leading a group here and you ask someone, could you lead the worship or just pray and they don't prepare, you think, oh, you know, you want reliability, consistency. And Phil has done that. So I know if, uh, you know, he does like our big uh, Christmas carol services and he puts it all together and produces it behind the scenes. And I just know that if he's there, it's going to be okay. I sleep well at night. I don't know if he does, but I do. You know, it's just... <laughs> Just because he's reliable, he's consistent, he's built over years, he's trustworthy. Yeah? Another good characteristic of good teams is confidentiality. What you're looking for is, you're looking for people around you that if you say something and they know that there are appropriate boundaries, that isn't going to spill out everywhere. You want that in your marriage, you want that in your working colleagues, 
And one of the worst things in life is when you share something that's really important and personal or private with someone, and then it gets back to you by another means. Has that ever happened to you? That's occasionally happened to me. And you kind of go, it doesn't come back fully formed, but it does come back. And you think, how do they know that? Someone has, someone has broken a confidence and it erodes trust. And you, you know, I've gone back to people and said, look, it must have come from you. Oh, yeah, sorry. I said, oh, you know, uh, I mean, it doesn't help, does it? Not that I would, of course, suggest in any relationships that you should headbutt anyone, but just, it's just a way of visualising my point. Got to be so careful nowadays. Okay. So, confident. so another way of putting this in a negative is do not gossip. Think best of people. Um, guard your tongue. Keep uh, confidentiality. Thirdly, be close. If you want to have a team, you've got to be close. See, trust takes time and therefore you've got to get to know people, whether it's your group or whether it's your work colleagues. And it takes time to build a trust. That's why I take the teams I lead, the eldership team here and the senior pastoral team here. We go away at times. We go away and we, we work and we eat and we play together because I, I know that you've got to build trust to kind of... Um, get over the bumps that comes in any working context. And so uh, it takes time. Have any of you taken on a team, led a team, we've inherited a team? Have you ever done that? That's a completely different leadership challenge. So when I first came to this church, I inherited a team. Uh, It was called the central team, for those of us who go back 20 years. It's not most of us. And it was a group of 12 people that I was the youngest, they were all older than me, and I came to lead this church. And I decided that I needed to get closer to them. So I, I said, well, I want to have a meal with each of you. And I went round, and some came round my house. So I went round the house. And Paul Braithwaite, who some of you might have heard of his name, um, who now lives in France with his uh, lovely wife, Charlotte, um, uh, he worked up in the city. He was a partner in one of the biggest QS firms in the country called Cyril Suites. And he was a senior partner there in a very high-flying QS and you know, dealt with multi-million pound projects. And I, uh, I went up to, um, to London. He said, well, why don't you come up for lunch? I thought, well, okay. I've been a youth pastor, okay, for five years before I came to lead this church. Trust me, youth pastors don't get taken out for lunch, okay? It just doesn't happen. So this was all new for me. So he, we went to a nice Italian and he paid. And I thought, come on, this is good. I like being a pastor of a church most of the time, some of the time. Anyway, and I asked him a question. I, as I was after him, I said, Paul, what is your gift? What is your contribution? And this is what he said. I wrote it in my book, Good to Grow. He said, I don't have many gifts, but I'll tell you this. I'm a loyal man. Ah, oh, right. I'm a loyal man. Now, of course, he had huge capacity and huge gifts. Okay. You don't do what he was doing without having that. But he said this, Steve, I'm a loyal man. Ah, what you'd give for a loyal man, eh, ladies? In fact, guys, what would you give for a loyal man? Seriously, loyalty is a precious gift. Someone that is trustworthy and will stand by you. Or in your team at work, someone that is loyal. Now, loyal doesn't mean just a yes person. A loyal person says, you you see, it's one thing to have a critic. It's another thing to hear truth from a loyal person. Totally different. And I've, I don't know about you, I've received both over the years. 
Yeah, where someone who really is, who's covering your back? Who's telling you what you don't want to hear, but because they're for you, they're telling it. They're, they're trustworthy people. They're reliable people. Those are the people you want around in your group and on your team. So trust. Quickly move on. E. Engage or uh, show empathy. It's one of my favourite verses at the moment because I'm not very good at it. Be quick to listen, James 1.19 says, and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I don't get angry that much. I occasionally get frustrated. I, I, I don't generally get angry. But I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. That's what I, because I'm an external person, so it's all out there. And the way I kind of lead is I kind of lead with sort of clarity, is how I like to put it, um, and direction. And so I, I think, oh, Lord, help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And actually, sometimes when you engage with a team, you have to slow down for, in the short term for long-term progress. Um, and uh, this is where these remarkable guys that did the dorm wall, uh, it's just an amazing detail on the ascent. Because at one point, the younger guy got stuck. Your Jensen, who's 30, meanwhile stalled out on pitch 15. For 10 days in a row, he continued to fall during each of his attempts. Time was a factor. The longer the climbers were on the wall, the greater chance of a weather front moving through and forcing the climbers to descend. The chance for success was literally slipping through uh, your Jensen's bandaged and bloody fingertips. And he was painfully aware that he was holding his partner back. If he didn't do pitch 15 soon, Cornwall would have to decide whether to move on alone. More than anything, I wanted to top out together, Cornwall said on day 30. So just think about it for a moment. Yeah? You are, this has been your life's ambition. You're the leading free climate in the world. You get past pitch 15, you're on the way. You've done this a number of times before. You're just about to do this, the first person ever to do it. And your colleague, who you've partnered with for years, is stuck. And you decide to wait and hang off the side of a mountain for 10 days so he could do it. As someone put it to me this week, would you wait? Would you wait? Or would you press on? Such is the desire to succeed and make progress and achieve. Sometimes good teams stop. They slow down. Now, I struggle with this personally. So I want, to, I want progress in life. There are people to reach for Jesus. Yeah? Come on, everyone. Yeah? But there are moments where it's right to slow down. In fact, our team, the team I pastor and lead, went through major restructuring just over a year ago. Yeah? It was a slow down moment for the overall health of the church. Secondly, sometimes it's good to slow down. You need to press on in the end. Uh, but it, how about this? Ask questions. Oh, I got, got help on this material from Rick Warren. I thought, ask questions. That's so true. 
I don't know about you, I, I tend to lead by going in, I've kind of, it's like I've heard from the Lord, let's go everyone. Uh, and, but I've found in trying to learn that sometimes asking questions is better than telling people what to do. Help them come on the journey. Um, I was trying to think of an example, I haven't got many, but this was the best I could come up with. Uh, just over a year or so ago, I was involved in coaching a really gifted leader who was leading a church of some six, seven, eight hundred, who was joining with another church of some three, four hundred. These were both pumping churches, really great churches. They felt God had called them to come together. And I was coaching, mainly through Skype, because it was in uh, Zimbabwe, um, uh, how, how to do this. And then in April last year, I met with this leader uh, in Istanbul at a New Frontiers conference. And I thought, oh dear, I'm not sure this is, the foundation is not right. And one of the biggest leadership mistakes I've made once was I, I made a decision from an office rather than face-to-face contact. And I thought, I'm not going to make that mistake again. So I offered to fly out for a weekend. And I did. And I arrived Friday morning. And Friday evening, I'm literally in the back of a car. I don't know why I didn't think of this in the flight, but I'm in the back of the car. I'm being driven to an elders and wives meal where we're going to discuss these two churches coming together. And I'm sitting there and I think to myself, what am I going to do? How am I going to, if I just walk in and say, hello, I'm Steve Tibbet. Uh, I wouldn't do it that way. I thought, I'm not sure that's going to... I thought, what would... This is what I thought. I thought, what would Steve Nicholson do? He's one of my mentors, leadership manager. I thought, do you know what Steve would do? He would ask a question. And so I'm sitting in the back of the car. I thought, that's an idea. I could ask a question. I thought, what question could I ask? And I came up with this. I thought, I could ask the question. I said, if you could describe your church with three words, what would it be? And if you could describe the church that you're merging and joining with... uh, uh, what, what three words would you use to describe that? And so that's what we did. We had some food. I said, hi, I've got a question for you. Write down three words that describe your church, three words that describe. And they wrote down. And do you know what? The words that describe their church and the identity of the other church were very different. Very different. And they kind of in the went, and I said, wow, you, these are, you, you can't merge these. This is very different culture and style and feel. And, and you could see... And, uh, and then the second day, I went to the other eldership team and had lunch with them. And I hadn't met most of them ever before, so I was coming in a bit cold. So I thought, well, well I thought, question work last night, I'll do that again. And so I did that, and they realized that it was very different. And, and basically, the outworking of that is that the way they did the merge of the church was very, very different. And in fact, one church closed and joined the other one. Because churches have identity, have a personality, have a feel. And uh, so anyway, that, that, that's an example, a good one, I hope, of asking a question. And then lastly, show emotion. Empathize with people. That's what's so exciting about um, the groups we're a part of at the moment, where you can share and stand with and listen to someone's struggle or to someone's success or to someone's sorrow. It's a powerful thing to stand with someone. One of the young guys in my group uh, is he's in sales and he needed a deal. And we prayed for him. And he said at the end, thanks for praying for me, Steve. It was just a simple thing. But he felt that someone had entered into his world and understood. Uh, and for any of the sales guys in the room, we all know what it's like when you're looking for a deal. So, uh, E, engage, empathize. Third, 
accommodate. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Your Jensen says, Tommy and I have very different attitudes and personalities. One of them is an optimist, one is a pessimist. When they had failed on a number of occasions before, it's just great to have an optimist around you. Yeah, we can do this. We can make this happen. I recently did Strength Finders again, trying to just another angle to find out how I'm wired and increase my self-awareness. But good teams are aware of things like this. They're aware of different personalities. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the book Quiet, which is all about the power of the introvert. I, I, I watched a very fascinating TED talk about the power of the introvert. Uh, they tend to be brighter and make more thought-through comments than us extroverts are just making it up as we go along, by the way. One comment to the introverts, please do speak, though. We do want to know what you're thinking. Uh, it's very difficult to guess. We're happy to try, but do speak. Um, but you need to recognise different gifts on a good team or good serving team. There are going to be different ideas of the way we're going to do it around here. Different needs on your team. And in our church, different cultures. Remember, every single time we gather, we're in a cross-cultural situation. And so just how we view authority and elders and pastors and, you know, it's just very different. And so you've got all these dynamics happening. Makes, makes, makes church fun. As we say around here, it means that some of the time, or if not all the time, we're all going to feel a little uncomfortable because we're just bumping against our cultural norms. They're not right or wrong, they're neutral. Some of them are wrong, but uh, they tend to just be neutral. And so you need to accommodate for difference. And King's has been brilliant at accommodating. Accommodating means make space for, provide room for uh, people. You need to do that on your team. And we've done that, uh, we've been exemplary as a church in doing that. I mean, once, remember, there was just one meeting in this room, 10.30, and then we grew and we said, look, let's make space, let's accommodate for more people. So what we did, we said, well, we'll, I want some of you to come at 9.30 and some of you to come at 11.30. And so we did that. And then after a while, we said, actually, so many people in our 11.30 meeting. We need some of you to move to the 9.30 or to go to the 5.30. In fact, we could do with 20 or 30 of you going to the 5.30 from this meeting to accommodate for other people to come in. And then what happened, we did the three meetings, and then we said, well, look, there's a church in Downham, we're going to send some people over there, and we did, so go and help, and then we said, we want to accommodate for more people, so we have two meetings on our Downham site, and while we're doing that, we want to buy a massive building over here, so it's cost you money and, you know, your, necessarily your preference of where you come to church, and we want a whole gang of you go over there, and we want to create a big auditorium there to accommodate for more people. And I would guess fairly soon... The way that site's going, we'll be looking for them to go to two meetings to accommodate for more people. So it's very much in our kind of DNA to accommodate for people that are not in the room. Sometimes good teams accommodate for people that are in the room and on your team that see the world differently. And good teams are made up of lots of difference. It might feel easier to lead a team which is just surrounded by people like you. And it is. Who sees the world. You know, everyone goes, yeah, we see this uh, clearly. Uh, you're not as effective, you're not as, you, you, your capacity is, is, is nowhere good uh, than having difference, different personality skill sets there. Lastly and quickly, M, all good teams, all good groups, a great marriage is with purpose beyond itself. 
If you're just inward looking, oh, look, look after me, I want to enrich my marriage even more, but it's not being poured out into your family or the wider community, then it's really missing something. Philippians 2 and 2 says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind or purpose. So a strong marriage um, bears fruit. It, 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 it contributes to a wider field. In your work, if you don't deliver, in the end, someone will say, look, we're paying you to do this. And so you understand that. But your group also, Christian huddles are not just for Christians to feel loved and cared. They are for that, but they are for something far greater, caught up in a a mission, something bigger, something with purpose beyond yourself. Um, I was amazed when I read about these two climbers. You can see it's... It's got to me. I, I discovered as I investigated that the Caldwell and your Jensen had made five attempts over the past half decade to free climb the dorm wall from bottom to top. Wow. This wasn't just a one-off. They've been doing this for years. Over the years, highs and lows have abounded. In 2011, your uh, Jensen took a fall on pitch 16 and pulled ligaments in his ankle, sidelining him for the rest of the year. said on his Twitter account, this is not an effort to conquer, it's about realising a dream. What's your dream for your group? What's your dream for your family? What's your dream for your marriage? What's your dream for your workplace or your business or your department? Because great groups and great teams have something that is beyond themselves. Uh, For me, I'm a pastor of a church. My dream is to build a church that worships God and reaches people for Jesus. And if you ever get close to me, you know that. I want want a passionate worshipping people and I want it it, uh, looking out for those that are not in the room. Maybe for you, when it comes to church, your passion is children. You want kids to come, have a fun time and learn about Jesus so that in generations to come, that will bear fruit. And so you come here early and you put on a red t-shirt and you jump up and down with balloons to make it fun. Yeah, that's your passion, yeah? You do it. And you're hidden, but that's your passion. Or it's, well, I love to help the, the, the people of God worship. So I come here early and I serve and I practice and I rehearse so that when we're together. Maybe you're on the welcome team and you get here early so that a new person can be made welcome, they can feel at home, that you can serve. Wherever uh, you serve, you want to do it with a dream. You want to do it with a sense of mission. You want to do it with something that is beyond yourself. Something that is going to cost you a little, actually, and something that flows with some conviction. Because in the end, people follow, follow people with conviction. If, you, if you're half-hearted, then, man, your group, if you only turn up occasionally, then, you know, your group's not going to get it. But if you've got commitment, as we were looking at last week, then, boy, you can achieve stuff together. Amen? So, let's be and continue to be a great uh, serving church. Let's continue to build trust. Let's engage. Let's accommodate. And let's do it with real purpose. Let's be on mission together. Amen.